From member-supported Colorado Public Radio, this is Since Columbine. I'm Andrea Dukakis. Yes, hello. Hi, how are you doing? Well, on my way over here, I received a phone call from a reporter in Brazil because they had a school shooting there today, reportedly involving two perpetrators. So I am suddenly inundated with email requests for interviews. This was a few weeks ago when I spoke with psychologist Peter Langman, but it could be any day when Langman gets a call about a shooting. Back in 1999, Langman was an intern at a psychiatric hospital for kids in Pennsylvania, where he still lives. On April 20th that year, across the country in Colorado, two students walked into their school with guns. They killed 13 other people, then killed themselves. Just 10 days later, on April 30th, a 16-year-old boy was admitted to our facility because he was seen as a Columbine-type risk. I was assigned to do an evaluation to determine if he really was a potential mass murderer. And what did you find? I thought there was a good reason for people to be concerned. He had been engaging in some very strange and disturbing behavior. He also had a hit list of potential victims. And I thought he was, without any intervention, someone who could have gone on an attack. That was the first potential school shooter Langman saw, but not the last. Dozens followed. Langman is among the most prominent of a growing breed of psychologists. They're ones that study potential school shooters and train others to spot them in order to stop more killings. This is Since Columbine, a podcast from Colorado Public Radio about how one shooting 20 years ago changed America. Today, what we know about mass shooters themselves and whether we've learned anything in 20 years that could actually stop the next one. Langman's research on this has had audiences at the Department of Homeland Security and with President Obama. He's presented at the FBI in Quantico. And I first saw him giving one of his talks to school and law enforcement officials here in Colorado. They were riveted. And it's not just kids who get teased, because kids get teased in every school, probably every day of the year across the country. Teasing may contribute to depression or rage. By itself, it does not cause mass murder. Playing a violent video game does not cause mass murder. You cannot explain something that is extraordinarily rare. Langman is a formal guy, but underlying the clinical way of speaking is a person who thinks about this work all the time, obsessively. He told me he goes bird watching and writes plays to get a mental break. He's surprised when he can go two hours without thinking about it. Langman's collected more than 500 documents on 150 perpetrators. It's his life's work, this belief that assessing individual threats based on psychology and behavior can prevent attacks. And yet he knows better than anyone that giving shooters any attention could invite copycats. It's always disheartening and... uh... And just kind of feel my gut sink every time there's a headline or I hear from somebody that there's been another school shooting um, because so many people are doing so much 
to keep people safe, and yet these attacks still happen. And they happen, Langman says, in part because of Columbine itself. I've identified 43 perpetrators of shootings or other types of mass attacks who have cited uh, Columbine in one way or another. 43 perpetrators. Yes. And there have been dozens of other people planning attacks who cited Columbine but who were stopped. One of those happened in 2015. A 16-year-old girl in Colorado planned to attack her school, Mountain Vista High School in Douglas County. She talked about it later. The tape is a little hard to hear. But she said she idolized the Columbine shooters and watched documentaries about them. That really inspired it, to be honest. Like, I don't know, I really, 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 really connected to them, I guess. This girl had been thinking about an attack like this when she met another girl who was thinking the same thing. She was like, let's shoot up the school, like, not, like, I'm not, like, I'm not joking. And I was down because I had been planning that for, like, a few months. This case illustrates a lot of what Langman's learned about how to identify and stop potential shooters. In the case of the girls, they were stopped, which gave law enforcement an unusual look inside their thinking. Prosecutor Jason Sears oversaw the case. He says officers discovered one of the girls had done research on guns and how much they cost. She laid it all out. She told law enforcement about the materials, what was planned, who was involved. The girls had journals. There was a map of the inside of the school with notes about what areas were most crowded and at what times. It's common for teens who commit mass shootings or are thinking about it to write about it, maybe in a diary, social media, or a school paper. Or, Langman says, they actually will tell a friend about it. And sometimes the things that they disclose to their peers are very clear and explicit. They will simply announce, I'm going to bring a gun to school and kill people. Columbine is case in point. There were lots of signs. One of the shooters wrote a creative writing paper in a class about a lone gunman who goes on a killing spree. In the tape we heard earlier with the girl in Douglas County, she was being interviewed by a detective. He asked her about some of the things she'd written in her journal, about killing herself and other people. If you don't want to be here, then you're that unhappy. What is the accomplishment if you take other people's lives? Um, it would be taking people down with me and people would know how I felt and people would know how much pain I was in and people would know how much I hated everyone and I would be making a name for myself. Langman says a lot of times the school shooters he studies want to be famous. They expect to go down in history They want to make their mark. They want people to know their name. And they often will cite a previous mass killer who received widespread attention and make very clear they want the same thing, so they're going to do the same kind of act. The girl in Douglas County wrote about a tough upbringing. She moved from state to state and lived with different family members. She felt neglected and wanted others to suffer, too. Do you think you still feel that way if... You felt people paid attention to you and understood how you feel? I think if I was, yeah, I think if I was paid attention to more and I was taken more seriously and if I got more support and love, then I would 
knows, right? And the girl declined an interview from where she is now in a youth detention facility. The other girl was recently released. It's unusual for girls to plan an attack like this. Peter Langman says most school shooters are male, about 95%. And he's found many of them are insecure about sex and their appearance. And that's a source of great distress to them in terms of their budding masculinity. So they feel often profoundly inadequate as males, and that may be one of the factors driving them to get a gun because a gun makes you powerful. Access to guns isn't lost on Langman as part of this whole puzzle of how to stop school shootings. He says his research shows most young shooters get their guns from a parent or relative who failed to secure them. He sees it as less about changing gun laws than teaching gun owners to keep weapons secure. One more point about the Douglas County case. It was uncovered when someone texted into an anonymous tip line for kids, concerned the girl was depressed and suicidal. Police took her to Children's Hospital for help. That's when they discovered the shooting plot. Psychologist Peter Langman says this isn't the only time tip lines may have helped stop school shootings. If anyone knows what's about to happen at the school, it's probably the other students. And making it easy for them to come forward is a huge step in the right direction. So anything that's going to help the flow of information to the people who need it is a good thing. Langman says there's no clear profile of a school shooter, but he has identified common psychological types. First, traumatized shooters. They're kids who come from families with chronic and severe dysfunction and violence. Then, shooters with psychopathy, characterized by narcissism and lack of empathy. And finally, there are kids with psychosis, marked by delusions or bizarre thinking. But other experts, like police psychologist John Nicoletti, say it's dangerous to focus too much on mental illness when trying to stop school shootings. What we're starting to see is a witch hunt against mentally ill people. 99% of the folks who have a mental health issue aren't violent. Nicoletti is another one of the stars in the threat assessment field. He was on the scene after Columbine, the Aurora Theater shooting, among others. He was also a consultant on the case of the Douglas County girls, which he says follows a pattern he sees a lot. You got that perceived injustice and feeling victimized, and you got kind of the obsession where you're looking at weapons and looking at maps, and then you got to take your action. Yeah, that's actually very typical. In his research, Nicoletti emphasizes some of the same things as Langman, like how most shooters make plans in advance. That gives everyone else the chance to stop them. Nicoletti stresses how important communication is to making that happen. When it doesn't, he says, things can go very wrong. In Parkland, different individuals had data points, whether it's the FBI or law enforcement or school or whatever. What was happening is there was not a vortex. A vortex, Nicoletti says, is where everyone at school shares information about a student who might be a potential threat. So how do you create a vortex in a school? It's actually really easy. You have the school get the key people, rather it's, you know, the head of security and SROs, school resource officers, psychologists. So that becomes your core group. And then based on what's going on, you may have a teacher or a coach or a bus driver come in and give you information. 
And that's not just about stopping kids who want to harm others. It's also about students who may want to harm themselves. That's the research, the training, and the version on paper. Then it's up to people like Officer Jason Gallardo to put Nicoletti and Langman's work into action. D-Money. Yeah? Come here, brother. I'm on trouble. No, never. No, this is... Gallardo was on patrol for a decade before he ended up at Littleton High School. He graduated from Littleton 30 years ago. Gallardo is an SRO, or school resource officer, and he likes to walk the halls, checking in with students. You all right, John? You sure? Okay. With more students struggling with mental illness and with the potential for violence in schools, SROs work on the front lines. Gallardo says he wants students to know he cares about them. Yeah. How's Ultimate Frisbee going? It's going all right. Um, you know, some of them just need a hello in the morning, and it's hard watching a thousand kids come through the door and think, what's he going through? What's he going through? Is he okay today? When you walk in the door in the morning, heck, we're the same way at work, right? Someone gives you a great greeting in the morning. Hey, Andrea, how's things going? How was your volleyball game last night? So you're like, wow, I feel better already. You know, this person is interested in what I have to say. Of course, saying hi, being interested, doesn't solve everything. In terms of um, a potential student that could be violent, have you ever had a scenario that concerned you? And obviously not using names, but... um, Pause it for a sec. Yeah. Gallardo asked me to turn off my recorder because he didn't want the details public. The short version is that last fall, a student went to school administrators. She had seen something that made her think another student was a threat. Turns out the threat was real. The student got expelled, went to counseling, and law enforcement still monitors him now. It weighs on Gallardo to have to do this. For me, it's constant. Am I going to be in the right spot? Am I going to be able to get to that person before they can get to anyone else? The nice thing for me is I know in my heart I'm going, okay? You will not see me sitting in my car when somebody's getting hurt in there. You won't see me running away. You won't see me hiding. I took this job. I knew that I would be willing to die for a kid, and my family knows that. He's willing to die if a shooter comes in the school. Every situation is potentially that serious for Gallardo. For Nicoletti, too, the expert who warns against typecasting potential shooters, he says rationalizing someone's behavior, no matter who they are, can be dangerous. One of the things that gets me concerned when I'm doing a threat assessment is if the folks I'm interacting with, one of them inserts the word just in the sentence structure. They were just joking, just planning, just having a bad day. And then what happens is people around buy into that and then they minimize That kind of diligence makes stopping mass shootings possible. And it's what gives me hope in this story, a little bit of comfort, knowing that all this research, what Langman and Nicoletti are doing, and the work of people like Gallardo, it means stopping school shootings isn't actually about finding a needle in a haystack. It's about knowing what to look for. Langman says we've come a long way in that regard since Columbine. Many potential school shootings are foiled, In many cases, we don't even know the attacks that are being stopped because they don't make the media, so they tend to fly under the radar, but they are being stopped. 
That knowledge helps Langman when he starts feeling down. Yes, even this academic clinician admits the work can get to him, and it did especially when his own kids were little. My awareness of the danger sometimes can get exaggerated as a parent and um, just worry at times maybe when there's no need to worry. Because while one shooting is too many, Langman knows better than anyone that school shootings are rare, even though the threat can seem monumental. He also knows his phone will ring the minute another one happens. Thanks for listening to Since Columbine. Our next episode will be out next week. Please support our work, recommend this podcast to a friend, and visit CPR.org to become a member. This episode of Since Columbine was reported by Andrea Dukakis. It was edited by Rachel Esterbrook with help from Kevin Dale. John Pinnell produced and mixed the episode, Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Since Columbine is a production of Colorado Public Radio.